I'm Allison. And I'm Alyssa. And this is Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker, where we reread the books we first read as kids and teens, again now with our adult perspectives. And sometimes with the help of that glorious adult juice we call liquor. First, we want to acknowledge the lands on which we are recording our podcast today. I'm currently recording on the unceded territories of the Coquitlam, Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Musqueam, Squamish, Kakite, and Stolo First Nations. And I am currently recording on the lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people. And I acknowledge that the land I am on is covered by Treaty 13, signed by the Mississaugas of the Credits, and the Williams Treaty signed with the multiple Mississaugas and Chippewa bands. Welcome to Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker. I'm your host, Allison. And I'm Alyssa. And today we will be discussing Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. Tiny baby content warning for spiders because I am triggered. Not necessarily because you will be, but because I am. (laughs) I need to prep myself for this. Yeah. All right. um, What are you drinking today, Alyssa? Well, today has been a clusterfuck because I woke up uh, for the third day of my migraine this morning. It was beautiful. And I was like, the the only thing I can stomach today is ginger ale, but I did put tequila in it. I'm doing it for the podcast. I'm proud of you. Thank you on behalf of us, myself and the two listeners. Uh, (laughs) This is where I'm at. Yeah. What are you drinking? Um, so I've also, I've had a hectic week, summer camp and all, you know, so, um, I just have a good old IPA. I'm pretty sure it's the same IPA I, uh, drank when we did the night circus. It's a pineapple double IPA. Oh, fun. Um, it's really good. And I also just could not match anything to this book. Yeah. (laughs) Like, um, I found a cocktail called Charlotte's Web. But there was just, like, a lot of ingredients I didn't really care to buy because I'll probably never use them again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we're drinking a beer. Love that for you. Um, thank you. Uh, let's jump right into a quick synopsis of the book. So, Charlotte's Web. One morning, Fern sees her father, Mr. Arable, go into the barn with an axe. When she learns that he is setting out to kill off the runt of the new litter of piglets, she pleads with him to spare the runt's life. Mr. Arable and lets Fern keep the pig, whom she names Wilbur, and Fern raises him. The two become inseparable, but Wilbur eventually gets too big and has to be sold to her uncle's farm down the street. Fern visits him often, but Wilbur is lonely in his new home. He meets his new companions in the barn, the sheep, a goose, a gander, and a rat named Templeton, and Wilbur becomes good friends with a spider named Charlotte. When they hear of Mr. Zuckerman's plan to kill Wilbur at wintertime for meat, Charlotte develops a plan to save Wilbur's life. In her web, she begins to spin words describing Wilbur, including some pig and terrific and radiant, with the help of Templeton finding magazine clippings in the dump. The Zuckermans see this as a miracle, and Wilbur becomes famous across the county. They take Wilbur to the fair, and although he loses first prize, he's given a special prize for attracting so much tourism to the fair. And Wilbur and Charlotte know they've succeeded in saving Wilbur's life. Charlotte spins one last word into her web. Humble. At this point, Fern is spending less and less time with Wilbur, and Charlotte has become Wilbur's true friend. But the end of Charlotte's life is near, and she won't make it home after the fair. Wilbur carefully takes her egg sac and looks after it until they hatch. Through the years, although most of the spiders take off and find a new home, a few always stay in the barn with Wilbur to be his friends, just like Charlotte. Adorable. Except for the spiders part. (laughs) (laughs) But Charlotte's a good spider. Why can't it be follow the butterflies? (laughs) 
All right. So um, my first experience with Charlotte's Web was I watched it in, I watched the cartoon. I was about to say, looking at my notes, I watched it in 1973. <laughs> I was not alive in that year. Um, I watched the cartoon from 1973 a lot. Like, I loved it. I just rewatched it, most of it, actually, before um, recording this, and a lot of memories were coming back. Um, but I, I couldn't finish it, though, because hearing Debbie Reynolds' voice as Charlotte was just making me sad. <laughs> so uh, I didn't finish it. But um, And I think I read the book somewhere between the ages of 8 and 10, and I have this vivid memory of, um, for some reason, my sister was sleeping on the floor and my room the night I finished it and so I was like sitting in my bed reading the book and I'm crying because I'm at the end and Lindsay my sister walked in and was like what is what's up what are you doing and I was like <laughs> I'm reading Charlotte's Web and she was like uh yes okay uh um, yes <laughs> uh, yeah Charlotte's Web uh so I would have given it like an 8 out of 10 it's good I liked it a lot yeah yeah I think I read that book probably like around the same age that you did early elementary school maybe like grade two or grade three and I genuinely didn't remember much about this experience of reading it except that it's about a pig who becomes friends with a spider so I think that I I feel like I watched the animated film probably around the same time as well but I genuinely Mm -hmm. don't remember anything about it um it wasn't a big like cultural touchstone for me in my childhood. Like it, it kind of sounds like it was for you. Mm-hmm. And all of you know at this point, I did not like <laughs> anything like remotely tragic at this age. So I probably would have rated it somewhere around like a six, maybe a seven, probably a six. I mean, I do love like animal shenanigans and such, but there yeah. are spiders, so that is the reason that this rating is tanking so much for me just being honest (laughs) like i don't like spiders but you like truly hate spiders oh i hate them that is yeah i hate them so much (laughs) flames on the side of my face (laughs) heathen breaths if you got that reference yes otherwise don't it's we would be friends (laughs) don't bother (laughs) all right let's jump right in cool so there are a couple of things that i wanted to touch on briefly relating to literature Uh, I mean, there's not too much to say here in terms of, like, explicit allusions or anything like that, but I do find it super interesting that Animal Farm was published, I think, seven years before this came out, and having a pig as a main character following Animal Farm does seem like an interesting and intentional choice that I Mm -hmm. think E.B. White was aware of when he was writing it. It's, I mean, this book is not a blatant political satire like Orwell's novel was, like not in any sense of the word, but having an intelligent pig protagonist is definitely a mood in the 40s and 50s, so I just thought that that was right? kind of interesting. Following yeah, that I legacy. didn't even realize I was thinking of Animal, Animal Farm a lot while watching, reading yeah. this. It, yeah, it was sort of something that jumped out to me that I thought was interesting. Um, so what were your thoughts on like the actual writing of the novel? Yeah, I thought that the the way that it was written and the pacing was sort of weird and unique, because we're first introduced to Fern, whom we assume is the main character for like the first three chapters. We're getting mostly her perspective and her struggles. Mm-hmm. And then after these three chapters, the focus becomes like mostly on her relationship with Wilbur. But then we get this switch at that point between like the third and fourth chapter where we get a glimpse into Wilbur's head. And then all of a sudden we realize that he can understand humans. He has like a logical human-like 
thought process. He's yeah, sort of emotionally intelligent. Yeah, it's very sudden that it's suddenly like, oh yeah, he has thoughts. He can talk. Yeah, exactly. And Fern can argue, like, understand them. Oh, that I'm. I will get to that in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, that is the, a whole section. <laughs> yeah, the whole intelligent talking animals thing is such a big switch from mm-hmm. the beginning and like how the characters are introduced. It's very yeah. like brutalist farm lifestyle novel up until the point where we get like into Wilbur's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we don't even meet the titular character Charlotte until like halfway into the novel when yeah. she becomes a central character. So yeah, the pacing was a little bit abrupt for me and because I genuinely remembered pretty much nothing about the book I found it really weird to have those sort of all of a sudden our perspective would shift in a really dramatic way yeah fair and I, I mean like also something I picked up on is that the book is clearly meant for like very young readers because it does that thing that kids books do where it, it defines a really long word as part of the narrative like Char- yeah. when Charlotte teaches Wilbur big words but I mean we saw that with like Diary of a Wimpy Kid and, and books like that too mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this is a fun story. So uh, this year, like, um, I live in Ontario, so we've been in lockdown for what feels like forever. Mm-hmm. So I was nannying for this family, uh, some family friends, that, um, and just helping their kids with online school because their parents uh, were really busy with their job. So uh, the older one, who's in grade three, was reading Charlotte's Web in their class. And so they would have, like, those novel study sheets we all did with uh, our books. And so they were always... Uh, definition pages of like words that were in the book that they had to look up and all the words are ones that charlotte tells wilbur what they mean oh my god yeah i had to help them find it online and now i'm like wait it was in the book this whole time oh my god so it's like are you kidding me i spent so long trying to teach you what frolic meant when it's in the book (laughs) anyways rant of the day yeah Actually, that's not my only rant of the day. My next rant is, why is this book so sad? I was I ha- so sad the whole time. I have thoughts time. on this as well. Let's get into it. Yeah, so, like, yeah, like, first of all, like, I don't know what it is about sad animals that just breaks my goddamn heart. Yeah, but, like, whenever yeah. Wilbur was sad when he was, like, missing Fern or just being like, I don't want to die, like, I'm two months old, I was like, yeah, I'm so sad for Wilbur. And then... Like, I felt so sad just reading it because knowing the ending and Charlotte's fate, just being like, I know what's coming. And also, this time, I didn't remember this, but, like, Fern, I think in the movies they don't do it as much, but in the um, book, like, Fern kind of grows up and outgrows her uh, relationship with Wilbur. Yeah. And that just broke my heart that she Mm kind of grew up and moved on. And then, of course, there's the ending, so I was just very sad reading this book. I also, like, have had a long day or long week teaching summer camp, so, like, maybe I'm just exhausted, but... <laughs> Emotionally exhausted. Sad. Yeah. Too exhausted for this shit. I was just very sad during this book. <laughs> I I totally agree with you. It is surprisingly sad for a book geared toward young children, and... Like, you think it's going to be all fun and games in the barn, you know? It's just it's yeah. just talking animals, but it gets dark right. so fast. Like, actually, it starts really dark because oh, we Wilbur start strong. Yeah. is going to be killed on the first page where, like, introduces Fern, bam, a pig's going to get murdered today. Mm-hmm. And then it ends really dark. I mean, Charlotte dies alone. Mm-hmm. It literally says no one was with her when she died. Broke my heart. Why like, I What? <laughs> That's so dark. I know. And I guess, you know, it's teaching kids about the circle of life or whatever. But 
Like the tone throughout is pretty grim, especially when we're getting glimpses into Wilbur's life and his struggles, which sort of leads me into a talking point that I want to bring up, which is the discussion of mental health in this book about animals from the 50s was so weird to Mm me. Right. Like, honestly, this book is sort of a coming-of-age story for Wilbur, and it gives us glimpses into his mental state, his mental health, and it's definitely troubling to read about. When Mm -hmm. Wilbur was less than two months old, the narrator tells us that he was, quote, already tired of living. Like, if that isn't a sign of depression... I don't, I don't know, know what, what it is. is. Yeah. Like chapter four is just Wilbur is depressed at the farm and it's so dark. Oh man. And then there's like the whole plot point where Fern's parents are worried because they think she's hearing voices and like mm. she can hear the animals talking. Literally what the hell is with that? Yeah, it's that? not really explained. There's it's no not. like moment of Fern being like, wait, are they talking and I understand them? Yeah. Or like she grows up and is like, oh, I just imagined that. Like- Absolutely no uh, explanation there. Yeah, and we don't even find out about that until, like, quite a few chapters in, and it's mentioned really, like, off the cuff. It's not like, oh, yeah, by the way, she can hear voices. It's just, like, mentioned, and then we move on. Yeah. But, I mean, nobody else supposedly can hear the animals, so they all think she's crazy, and the mom wants to, like, call the doctor and have her assessed. Mm-hmm. But... Yet, later on, they all just somehow accept the miracle that the spider can write in the English language. And right. also, this is an aside, Charlotte speaks Latin? Excuse right. me? Where is a spider learning Latin, a dead language? Where did she learn how to write? Like, so many questions. I have so, so, so many questions. And like, okay, cool, I can accept this. But it is just so wild to me that the narrator just drops the bomb on us in chapter seven that Fern can hear animals talking. Like, oh. Yeah. And, okay, so I was thinking maybe the animals are, the fact that they're talking is just a figment of her imagination, but because Fern isn't present for a lot of the conversations that happen between the animals, there isn't that uh, belief maybe that it's just her interpretation of what's going on with the animals, like that she made up in her head. They're literally talking and writing and having philosophical conversations. What yeah, the and she's just like there. She's just there. Also, the like fully talk about uh, Zuckerman, the farmer, like going to planning on killing Wilbur at mm-hmm. winter time, and she's just there looking uncomfortable. Yep. And I'm like, have you accepted this fate, or are you gonna you're still on? Let's say Wilbur, like yeah, like come on, let's at least stage a prison break or something. Let's go, right? very strange uh but while we're talking about fern and wilbur Mm -hmm. um so obviously friendship is a huge theme in this novel and um i thought wilbur's friendships with charlotte and fern were really well written and like Mm -hmm. quite beautiful um even as fern like grows up and she spends less and less time with wilbur i thought i thought it showed that sometimes we outgrow friendships and we move on and it's sad but like it doesn't make the relationship you had that person any less meaningful yeah like the fact that Fern spends less and less time with Wilbur doesn't change the fact she once upon a time like saved his life and raised him and found him a good home and same with Charlotte like even though she's gone it doesn't change the fact that she saved Wilbur's life yeah that was a really cute theme no you're totally right and that's something I also picked up on like I think in a lot of ways the book is teaching 
like young readers not only how to make friends but also how to cope with it when they move on or when you grow mm-hmm. up and sort of the the loss that comes with growing up in a lot of ways this book yeah. is about grief and loss and mm-hmm. we get hit with that moral like really hard at the end when most of charlotte's children abandon wilbur after he he's like a spider stepdad and then they're like bye i'm leaving <laughs> but we we get used to the sort of cynical nature of growing up and moving on through Wilbur's unique viewpoint. Mm -hmm. It is interesting because that does seem to be one of the morals of the story, which I think it's important to teach kids about that in books, but it, it just is so dark the way that it happens. Yeah. It's darkly written, but it's an important life lesson. Like sometimes friendships end and you move on and, or you outgrow each other, but it doesn't make your relationship any less meaningful. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's such a valuable lesson because most kids books don't talk about that when they talk about friendship. It's yeah. It's always like, like very making friends, friends and keeping them. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. So you know that we got to talk about animal rights and cruelty at some point. I have many thoughts. Let's just get into it. So I mean, the book starts out strong when a baby pig is about to be murdered like on the literal first page i will say though like they do the parents make a point that they're like this it's the rent of the litter like it's uh if fern hadn't taken in wilbur he wouldn't have had a good life like exactly early stage of his life he would have died at some point and they also live on a working farm which means that like animals gonna die people gotta eat but yeah it's like starting off strong but it it also maintains that um that sort of idea with these glimpses we get throughout the book of like animal rights issues. Mm-hmm. And there's a weird dynamic between the pig as a pet versus the pig as produce whole situation. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that I can safely say that a large part of my desire to be vegetarian as a small child was because of stories like this, where we get to see intelligent animals going around being human, like with their emotions yeah, and being like pets essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it and is... And I'm sure you're not alone in that. Yeah, it, it's just interesting to see. When I was reading it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally see where my, like, young feminist vegetarian ideals came from all of these children's books. I wasn't expecting it to come from there, but I'm like, yes. You're like, oh, yeah, I see out. that connection. <laughs> yeah. And when we get to Zuckerman's farm, we also see that the animals basically see it as a prison. There's, like, a desire Mm -hmm. to be free from captivity, and we even see Wilbur trying to run away, and the goose tries to help him Mm -hmm. and gives him advice, uh, like, being, run this way, run that way, do this, do that. So it's interesting to see Farmer as, like, prison warden. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, then there's the whole fact that, like, most of the animals on the farm know that Wilbur is going to die, but they choose not to tell him right away. Uh, which is a mood. (laughs) The dynamics are super wild between all of the animals. I mean, and the the fact that they do eventually tell him too is interesting that they're like, you know what's coming, right? Yeah. And I mean, the idea of the main character of a children's book having to understand and sort of accept or resist their imminent murder is (laughs) pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, This is is an aside too, but since we brought up all of the different animals, I want to talk about them for a second because all of them have such distinct, interesting personalities that are written in a very unique way. Like Templeton is such an interesting character. Yeah, I was so interested by Templeton because he, like, it's not, 
supposed to be a likable character. No one in the mm-hmm. barn really likes him, but he's so important in their kind of mission to help Wilbur, and they yeah. kind of are constantly asking for his help, and he always does it. They always find a way to get him to do it, even if it's, like, in a selfish way, being, like, with bribery, yeah. or being, like, if Wilbur dies, then you go don't get to eat his slops. So, um, yeah, I thought he was such an interesting character, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And he, he's definitely, like, a hoarder. But one of the really funny moments to me was when uh, he hoards that, like, goose egg that doesn't hatch. Oh, yeah. And then it gets detonated as a stink bomb, but it, it has, like, an effect that he wanted. And he's like, yeah, see, hoarding pays off sometimes, guys. <laughs> right, yeah. He does seem to be, like, there's a little bit of comic relief there, just in mm-hmm. the fact that it's one animal character that the reader doesn't necessarily have to like. All of the other yeah. animal characters are pretty likable. So mm-hmm. I think having him as a character shows a little bit of range. And there's this really weird moment that I also wanted to briefly touch on where the narrator says that the animals treated Fern as an equal when she would like come mm-hmm. to visit Wilbur at the farm. And it is very interesting to me that the animals are thinking in terms of animal-human equality, but the humans aren't. And the animals seem to be really philosophical. Like, there's an entire page in the book where Wilbur's just philosophizing, is that a word? Yeah, on the idea of nothing. And I was like, this is super deep. What's going on here? Yeah, it's... Introducing philosophy to young kids. Yeah. (laughs) Like, all all of the characters have such distinct personalities, which I find really cool. Yeah, the animals were very fun in this. Yeah. But, like, also each of them isn't perfect. They all have their quirks, which is nice to see because I think in a lot of kids' books, some of the characters are really idealized or they only, they're very one dimensional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's always interesting to see characters that genuinely have an arc and actually learn a lesson, unlike Greg. (laughs) Still angry about Greg. I mean, the poor guy, we have confirmed he is stuck in purgatory. Yeah. He's a cult leader in purgatory, which is fine. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel bad for him. Yeah. Save Greg from purgatory, guys. <laughs> Only you can save Greg. <sighs> okay, so I think it's I think it's uh, feminist rant time, if you're ready for that. Oh, yeah, Buckle let's in. do it. Okay, so clearly, as this book was published in 1952, there are some outdated gender stereotypes happening here. They're pretty really? cringy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't Who say. would have thought? <laughs> but I need to address the fact that Fern's parents keep pushing her to talk to that little boy and they're like essentially trying to set her up. She's fucking eight years old. Calm down. Right. When they Yeah, even the doctor is like, does she have any like does she talk to boys? Yeah. And so you're her doctor. That's none of your business. None of your business. And she is excited to go to the fair and like go on the I think it's like the Ferris wheel or something. Yeah. With the little boy, but they're eight years old. Like, her her mom's just like, yes, go to the fair and talk to boys. I don't want you at the farm anymore. <laughs> Better than talking to pigs. I'm like, I, I would rather her talk to animals. Yeah. It just at felt eight? uncomfy to me. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. It's a uh, weird sexualization. Yeah. Not about that. No turn. Yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up a point that I thought translates really well into the modern world so Mm -hmm. charlotte says that humans are very gullible and really easy to trick so she spins the words in her web describing wilbur and everyone believes it without a doubt and they even lead themselves to think that they always knew wilbur was a special pig (laughs) and i thought it translated so well in today's world because it's so easy to see something like online and just believe it and Mm -hmm. not take a second 
to think Fake critically news. or to yeah or to question it and like yeah she um we're so as humans we're so easily persuaded and uh even though we have more information at our disposal now like we're just as easily persuaded now as like these farmers were by a web that had words about a pig it's a miracle yeah and i i yeah thought it just like translated really well yeah i I totally think you're right and it's very clearly pointing out the potential harm that comes without critical thinking or without critical reading skills which is one of those places where it's definitely trying to teach the young reader to Mm -hmm. think critically about uh literature and about sources and what literature is telling them yeah. Which it, it's so genuinely nice to see that in a book for kids because kids often aren't taught to question authority and print is one of mm-hmm. the highest authorities that people tend to trust without thinking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is nice to see that in a kid's book. And one of the characters even says, people will believe anything they read. I think I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically like the yeah. gist of it. And mm-hmm. so that's one of those moments where White is sort of winking to the audience as well, being yeah. like, hey, see that? See that? <laughs> Think critically, children. Yeah. Well, while we're on the topic of thinking critically. um, Yes. Okay, so years ago, I read this article about why the movie Wizard of Oz ends with Dorothy saying there's no place like home. And so obviously, like, during the war, there were lots of young men overseas fighting, and women had to fill their roles at home, like, in the workforce, just in general. And so post-war, like, the men who survived returned home, and the need their jobs back so the message was for women and girls to like want to stay home and everything you need is at home and you don't Mm -hmm. need to go into the world anymore and there's no place like home and so ever since reading that article like I see that theme in a lot of post-war literature and films like it's a wonderful life is a very big example of that um and so the scene where Wilbur breaks out of the pen but is lured back by food and decides he likes it there. By like, the way, why? that was so relatable, though. He's just like, oh, I love food, though. <laughs> right. But, like, yeah, he decides he likes it there. And, like, why he doesn't want to leave and why would he leave? And um, I just thought that fit into that propaganda theme so well. Mm-hmm. Like, why go out and explore the big scary world when everything you need is right here? Stay on the farm where you're looked after. Stay on the farm and continue the family tradition, kids. No, so, yeah, is. definitely. And it's interesting, like, seeing uh, the contrast of that theme in older literature, whereas now a lot more contemporary literature is about going out on adventures and finding yourself. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's exactly. such an interesting contrast, yeah. No, that that is such an interesting point. And I can definitely see that in so many books and films from that period like right after, yeah the more the you war. think about it yeah it's it's, so that's definitely it, yeah. a conspiracy uh <laughs> but as fern grows older she feels pressured to stop visiting the farm and pursue more typically like female things like going out with boys yeah, uh, or, like, like talking yeah, to boys like staying a husband <laughs> staying at home with her mom And it signals to young readers that their place is in the home and not out in the world or doing these more like male gendered activities such as farm work. Mm -hmm. And you know what I say to that? Fuck the patriarchy. Fuck it. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting because Avery kind of takes her place at one point. He kind of steps into the role of like taking like at the fair of taking care of Wilbur while she goes off and goes on the ferry ferris wheel with the boy exactly i forget his name yeah i can't remember it yeah. was just some like old white boy name you know 
Yeah, Henry, Harry, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Harvey, I don't know. One of those, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but that that is so interesting, the idea of staying at home. The fact that the entire book, other than when they go to the fair, takes place at the farm. Yeah. They never go anywhere. And for a coming of age type story, for you to stay in one place, you'd think that would really limit the narrative, but it doesn't seem to do that in this case. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. But it, yeah, it is interesting. But we do get those uh, outside perspectives and like critical voices because we have Charlotte, who's like the intellectual of the group, who's teaching mm-hmm. Wilbur. And then we have Templeton, who's sort of goes in and out of the farm he has the ability to leave and come back and he like brings literature with him yeah so he serves an interesting role in like sort of bringing news or knowledge into the farm to help wilbur grow even though he is stuck there it's yeah it is but he's also like very content yes yeah that pen like um once he makes friends with charlotte he's kind of like i don't want to leave i like it here exactly yeah once he gets over his depression from chapter four he's like everything's fine now i have a friend yeah it's like the message is like if you have friends you're good which is the same message in uh it's a wonderful life no man is failure who has friends yes yeah you have friends you're totally right exactly and yeah maybe that has something to do with like the ideals of a post-war world as well Mm -hmm. because everybody was off in the world and it was a scary place so they came back Mm -hmm. home and didn't want to leave again yeah. Well, we got deep. It's surprisingly deep for a children's book about a talking pig. <laughs> that's fair. That's what we do it. here. <laughs> we are constantly surprised. <laughs> we surprise ourselves. Sometimes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Any last thoughts? Yeah, some random thoughts. Too many nasty depictions of spider things. Bleh. That is all. I will say, this book did kind of change my mind about spiders i think like i really like charlotte <laughs> she's so sweet oh, she's so nice I and agree. maybe all spiders are just ch- some spiders are uh, the devil reincarnated yes that's for sure yep. but um maybe some spiders are nice and they're just chilling and just want to help you not um become the main course of christmas dinner i would I like know. to think that that you know some spiders are humanitarians <laughs> are intellectuals they study the humanities and they save lives they are animal right advocates i would like to think all of this however yeah okay so where did charlotte learn all this this is my question we're gonna get into charlotte web conspiracy because like presuming she is about a year old when like i don't think spiders live very long in my knowledge so and like judging by the life cycle of like her children Mm -hmm. is she's about a year when she dies, so she can't have known Wilbur for very long, or have been alive very long before meeting Wilbur, like, before she kind of took off, flew in the wind, and then found the barn, and then was like, ooh, this friend Wilbur. So, like, where did she learn Latin from? Where did she learn about humanitarianism? (laughs) Yes, yeah. (laughs) Activism, like. Yes, these are my questions also. How'd she learn how to write? I have many, many questions. So many questions. I just, 
Cannot. Yeah. The I mean, the fact that she writes in her web and also the fact that the humans are like, oh, yeah, that seems fine. Cool. Amazing. It's a miracle. I love that moment where one, I, I think it's even the female character is like, I no, I think that's an exceptional spider. And all the men are like, mm, no, it's an ordinary spider. It's the pig that's exceptional. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, once again, men talking over women. <laughs> exactly. Like somebody knew what was going on there and nobody and she was like, no, I think like the spider's the one that wrote it. Yeah. And they're oh like, nah. It's in the web. It's not like But the web Wilbur. says it's about the pig. So the pig's exceptional. Yeah. Obviously. Come on. It's just like the it's it's all wild. I mean, it's a kid's book. If you pull <laughs> the thread, the book will unravel. But oh, yeah. I just I have so like so web? so many uh-huh. questions about Charlotte as a as a character. Because she's very motherly, but she's also kind of pretentious because, like, she only wants to hang out with Wilbur and she kind of shit talks everybody else. Right, yeah. Which is interesting. But she takes a liking to Wilbur for whatever reason, I guess because he's very innocent. Yeah, he's very sweet. I I would be friends with Wilbur. Yeah, he does have a desire to to be friendly and like share because everybody else pretty much hates Templeton. But Wilbur makes a point of when he's like listing his schedule. For the day, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, yeah, the first thing I do is I go out, hang out with Templeton. We eat some food. I share food with him. It's chill. Oh, yeah. He always leaves food for Templeton. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's one of the more considerate characters because everybody else pretty much hates his guts. So Yeah. And is that why Templeton helps out Wilbur so much? Because he's the only one that like talks to him. I mean, maybe, yeah. Charlotte totally does manipulate him, though. Into, yeah. into doing so it's like there's something stuff. here the fact that no one likes templeton but he keeps helping him i couldn't quite find my way around it yeah it, it, i was like there's something it here. seems like maybe the moral of that story to moralize it because it's a kid's book is mm-hmm. there there might be something beneath the annoying kid that you don't like in your class maybe they are a good person that just needs to like you just need to prod poke a little deeper and and find out some things about them and maybe make a connection maybe they'll help you out sometime but it yeah you never know when you need help exactly but it it doesn't seem it's not that explicit so i don't know if maybe that was yeah. meant to be the message i'm just i'm grasping i feel at like it's here. an underlining like it's probably an under because like the message is friendship and mm-hmm. sacrifice for your friends but um I think maybe that's, like, an underlying, like, be nice, even if they're not nice people or other people don't like them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because you never know when you need help to not become Christmas dinner. (laughs) What a lovely thought. Yeah. And my last random thought of the day is Charlotte is the OG vampire. She's like, yeah, I drink blood. Let me tell you in graphic detail exactly how I like to catch and eat my food. Love that. I know, yeah, I was like surprised that it was so graphic that she was like, this is how I do it. Yeah. And I knock them out so they don't feel it. And then I drink their blood. Blood is great. Yeah. She's like, don't worry. They can't like, feel pain when I eat them. <laughs> like, Cool. Yeah, I don't know, Charlotte's, like, very concerned about saving Wilbur from being eaten, but she's like, watch me eat these bugs. Yeah, but blood, though. Yeah, so anyway, she's the original Edward Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> just creeping, just watching from a corner, trying to save Truly your though. life. Yeah, trying to save your life with a little bit of a conspiracy. Oh, and Wilbur's, like, asleep, too, yeah. when she first starts talking yeah. to him. He's, like, half asleep. And she's, like, you'll see me in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, sitting there in the dark. Well, there you have it, folks. This was clearly the All inspiration right. for Twilight. The so. conspiracy has been uncovered. 
We're on to you, Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only explanation. Yeah, so after all that, um, despite it being a sad book, and I was sad for like 80% of reading mm-hmm. it, I still really enjoyed reading it. I had a great time. Um, I mean, we all know I love some sad shit, <laughs> so I'm sure we all know that about me at this point. Yeah. Um, so I th- I would give it a 9 out of 10. Like I, I think it still holds up for the most part. Yeah, I would say I'd probably bump my rating up to like an 8 because I definitely enjoyed it a lot more this time than I did mm-hmm. as a kid. Because as, as you all know, I was not about a tragedy. I was not about that. I had no time for that. I was like, happy endings only. Thank you very much. Uh, so I definitely got different things out of it this time as well, obviously. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought that the writing was really interesting. And there's a lot going on there. I think if this had been like a generic children's book, maybe we wouldn't have been able to read into it so deeply. So I, I enjoyed yeah. that it was uh, teaching people to think critically and stuff like that. I really liked that a lot mm-hmm. so other than like the cringy gender stuff i can i can get i can look past that and give it like an eight i think would you uh recommend this book to the children's these days yeah i definitely think so i, I like a lot of the lessons that it teaches but i, I mm-hmm. guess my thing one be prepared it is pretty dark darker than i remembered and two yeah just yeah. like some low-key gender stuff that would be a conversation that you'd have with your kid probably yeah yeah i think yeah like you said most of the like main themes and uh morals of the story i think still hold yeah, up and sure. are still important today yeah. so yeah i say yes and it's a wild yeah. ride <laughs> yeah and i think that's uh that was our shortest review yet i mean it's like a 100 page book yeah so. it makes sense <laughs> but yeah like i'm maybe like a quarter of a way through my drink i know chug 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 <laughs> here we go oh we also didn't do a trip shot so let's oh, do it now gosh, okay <laughs> oh my god you're chugging what it's mostly ginger ale <laughs> yeah yeah i have a beer you have ginger yeah, ale it's easier it's to fine. chug <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker. Join us next week when we'll be talking about The Perks of Being a Wallflower by Stephen Chbosky. This has been Books Before Liquor, Never Been Sicker. Thanks for tuning in. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Books Before Liquor and Twitter at BooksBLPodcast. And check us out on our website at BooksBeforeLiquorNeverBeenSicker.ca or email us at booksbeforeliquor at gmail.com to scream at us about great books or send us recommendations or whatever. We love to hear from you. And you can also support us by visiting patreon.com slash booksbeforeliquorneverbeensicker. And now, go drink a big glass of water.